Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the second episode of our our fledgling podcast. So you think you're crazy with us, your hosts, Mr. Christopher Hughes and Wesley Pullen. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so so you go. Sorry. Well, before we before we started recording here, we were having a little chat about what we wanted to talk about today and share with the world. And we thought, hey. Who are we? None of you guys out there necessarily know who we are. So we started Googling like lame first date questions. Not that we're <laughs> dating, but the questions that you ask each other so that people start to like get to know each other. Interrogation questions. And I can relate to this because I'm doing a fair bit of dating myself at the moment. I'm on Grindr, which doesn't necessarily create dates. I'm on Scruff, which again, doesn't necessarily create dates. But then there's Tinder and there is Hinge and there's Field and there they just it you're on stop. all of them. Basically. I'm on all of them. But you know what? <laughs> yeah, and then what the thing Wesley is when you're on all of them, it's all the same people on all of them. But they show you different <laughs> sides of themselves. Okay, so get this: I met a guy off of Hinge, and Hinge is supposed to be really like relationship oriented. You know, like it's also quite, if I'm honest, heteronormative. Um, they don't have a field to talk about your sexual preferences, like whether you're a top or a bottom or any of those things. But they have some cute features like you can leave voice prompts uh, as answers to certain questions, similar to the questions we're talking about today. And uh, you can leave videos. So you get to see a little bit more of the person that's there. But moral of the story is, so I meet this guy called Jacob, who's on Hinge. And he seems like a lovely, sweet young guy. He's a dancer. Um, he, you know, the the Hinge profile made him seem like quite a, a sweet, honest, innocent yeah. guy looking for a monogamous relationship of sorts. Anyway, I also then see him on Field. And for those of you out there who don't know Field, Field is the app for people who are interested in polyamory and maybe they are a little kinkier. Um and I got a totally different insight into what Jacob was after and who he is from that particular app. Anyway. I didn't even know what field was. I feel like I'm gancient because I've been okay. in a relationship for a year. So this is like education for me and all of our listeners too. <laughs> you think you think you're gancient. I was married for 10 years and I'm just getting back out there doing this and going, whoa. Okay. It's like new world. putting your resume out, but in sexually <laughs> yes exactly well field is an interesting one and okay so so far what i've noticed with field is yes it is for people who are maybe in ethical non-monogamous situations or are looking for polyamorous situations but all of them seem to be like magicians or something strange or they're really interested in dungeons and dragons or something which is fine that's all cool but it's a different world and then you go over to tinder say for example and for some reason on tinder all the gay guys are interested in fishing and camping and four-wheel driving has been a fucking shit show for years i'm yeah. just gonna say it straight yeah get your fucking fish picture off your profile well get it i ended up yeah i ended up looking at tinder and going pardon my french but where are the fags? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you don't want to go for a hike, then what? 
you're not interested in fishing and you're not interested in hiking. Sorry. So Tinder maybe isn't for me. Yeah. So that's that. And I have also, here's, okay, I guess just got to give you guys one more funny story about my adventures in Tinder. So this one fella contacted me from Tinder and it said he was 16,000 kilometers away. And I'm like, well, this is probably not even fucking happen. Well, right. And how do they find you at that distance? Anyway, he said he was an accountant from Chicago and he was a very attractive man and he was quite interested in me. Sounds legit. Yeah. Sounds. Hey, 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 Wesley. (laughs) So what are you trying to say here? If he's interested in me, it's, it's, it's can't be legit. The whole like accountant from Chicago, 16,000 kilometers away. Oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds like every, every email I've ever gotten. Yeah, I know. And the funny thing about these these Chicago accountants is, and any of the guys who sort of meet the similar description to this guy is they always really quickly want to take it from that app where you met to WhatsApp or to a phone connection. And then you're and married. He, well, anyway, he wanted to <laughs> he wanted to call and uh, he called me and I was listening to him talk and I was like okay, so in the background, I hear goats and chickens and a woman yelling in a foreign language and cars honking. And I was like, what else is 16,000 kilometers away from me here in Brisbane, Australia? Oh, I get it. Nairobi. (laughs) So, (laughs) and this guy had this thick African accent and he was so clearly trying to catfish me into believing that he was this rather handsome accountant from Chicago. Um, so that was that. He didn't want to go for a hike. He didn't want to go fishing. He probably wanted me to send him some money at some point, but we never got that far. I actually beat him to the punch and I asked him for money first. Oh, my, did he send you money? No, he didn't send me money. He what lost interest pretty quickly. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so that's it. We're, we're doing these dating app questions today to uh, get to, so our audience out there can know who is Wes and who is Chris? Who are exactly. these guys? And then you'll understand that we don't just think we're crazy. We actually are. Mm-hmm. 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 And on the way to finding out these questions, I mean, we've got a couple of good ones lined up for each other. But I found some pretty funny ones to ask if you're going on a gay date or maybe a normal date. I don't know. This is kind of relevant to gays, though. But for the first time, um. And I found this article, I can't even remember, 30 questions every gay guy should ask on a first date, you know, on one of these like teen vogues or something. And these were the top six that I found like super funny and also super relevant. Question one is, do you drive a Prius? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, why would you go out with anybody who cared what kind of car you drove? (laughs) Exactly. But I mean, they're funny. Yeah, that, that is a funny question. Okay, another story for you. I went to a gay social event yesterday. There's a group here in Brisbane called the Briz Bears. And it's, you know, the bears. So the bigger, hairier guys or guys who like bigger, hairier guys. Lots of beards in this uh, in this social event. And it was cool because it was a 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, drinks at a pub, and they were so friendly. Everyone, like, I walked in on my own you know, with that bit of apprehension of like, oh, will anyone be outgoing enough that we end up in a conversation? Yeah. As soon as I walked in, this one guy was like, hey, come over. And I ended up sitting down with this table of people and meeting them. But 
as soon as we started this kind of line of questioning that we're talking about here today, there was the question of what do you do? Oh, I hate and that question. I know. Can well, we talk about that question should just be canceled? Like, who cares, right? It's sort of like the Prius question. I don't care what you drive. I don't care if you don't even have a bus pass. Like, <laughs> it, to me, the, to me, the best mode of transportation is a pair of shoes, in my opinion. Shoelace Express. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as soon as these guys determined that I was in a different socioeconomic group to them, I could feel their walls go up and they start to separate from me. Because mm. a lot of them, they had like pretty ordinary jobs. You know, one was a cook and one worked for um, the railroad and one worked as a mechanic and they were just, you know, sort of regular jobs. And I don't care. But I was interesting to find that their prejudices to me were, oh, he has a, he's a business owner. He has some resources behind him. He probably wouldn't be interested in me, or he probably is an X, Y, and Z kind of person. So we're not going to talk to him that much. That is wild. I mean, you'd think we'd asked, we'd ask questions to find out more information about someone, but actually what a lot of people use questions for is to put you in a box to decide whether you can fit in their life or not. Mm. Totally. And, or whether they'll fit in yours, which is interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And don't get me started on that because I have a history of falling in love with guys that actually would not fit in my life and vice versa. But anyway, we'll leave that there. So, is it because they drove a Prius? Look, some of them, some of them, it was definitely Shoelace Express. And but we'll just leave it there. And that was, I was fine with it. They weren't. So what else? What are the other questions we need to ask? What do you drive? Who cares? Um, well, the second one was kind of lame, but it was, do you eat meat? I mean, is it important? Well. What uh, kind of meat uh, is what we're talking about too? Mm, look, I have a friend who's just uh, entered into a relationship with a guy. And the guy he's dating is not only diabetic, but a vegan. So oh, he can basically eat sake. two things. Yeah, he you can't get eat him anything. a plate of ice. Yeah, he can't eat anything that spikes his fructose or glucose levels, and he won't eat anything from an animal. So what do you do? I don't know. Like, that one's a hard one, though. I feel like the question should be expanded. And, I mean, for example, if someone's a vegan, I know a lot of vegans that are pretty easy to go out with, to pick a restaurant to go to, and then I know a lot of vegans who are not. And those are the people that you just end up not going out with and not eating with because you can't go to this restaurant because they cook the same fucking food with the cheese and the meat and they, they're too scared. And it's just too much. It's just too much. Invite me over to your house. We'll have a bowl of popcorn. Like, that, it, 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 basically. Yeah. <laughs> ethically, ethically sourced popcorn or something. I don't know. So we're I, officially changing that question to are you an easy vegan or are you a hard vegan? Well, and, and even easy and hard. I mean, what about, what about instead, are you a righteous vegan? <laughs> yes, because that's the word. <laughs> you notice when someone's vegan, they have to like tell you, uh, hey, my name's Chris. I'm vegan. Like that's the introductory. <laughs> well, it's, so, it's like such a huge part of their personality. Maybe, yeah. maybe these questions aren't bad. Like maybe if you find out straight away that they're a righteous vegan, 
I was going to say virgin, a righteous vegan who drives a Prius, maybe you wouldn't get along. Who knows? Exactly. Oh, okay. So now I'm seeing how these questions are tying in together. The mm-hmm. third one is, though, please define gay. Oh, no. Please define. Oh, no. You know what? I did a philosophy class in university. Um, it was Chris Oriental has a master's philosophy. degree, everyone, just so that you know, Chris has his just master's you know, degree. I'm a, I'm a, a man of learning. Um, and I will never forget there was a, an essay question on the final exam in my Oriental philosophy class. And the question was, is God a proper name? I went, what? And I answered the question. I wrote the, the essay for them and they gave me a 0%. And I went, wow, apparently no, I, have no, I have no pertinent opinions about God and his name. <laughs> Wait, what would have been the correct answer? I struggle a lot with philosophy. I dated a philosopher once and it didn't go down well. Oh, was this the was this the polyamorous philosopher? The polyamorous philosopher. Oh, he sounds like a wanker. Let's be honest. Oops, <laughs> sorry, but I'm just saying it. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of polyamory, the fourth question is, are you capable of being in a relationship? That's quite a heavy question for a first date. But, mm. I mean, gays do go fast sometimes. Oh, girl. Do they ever? Yeah. Do you know what? I'm actually asking myself the opposite question these days. I'm actually asking myself, am I capable of polyamory? Because if I really am into somebody, I find it hard to look elsewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And these days, that's not necessarily what everyone's about. There's a whole lot of people that are polyamorous. I'm in this strange conundrum where I don't know that I want conventional monogamy as a as my relationship style or type. And and yet, when I meet somebody that I'm really into, I find it difficult to connect with anybody else. Sexually, I'm open, and I totally get having sex with more than one partner. Um, but I get emotionally invested to a fairly intense degree is Mm -hmm. what I'll say. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is wild. I think polyamory, it didn't really work for me. Like it's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think it works for a lot of people and a lot of relationships. For me, it's, it's just too many people going on. Like I can barely keep myself together. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to. You know, my partner barely gets all the attention he deserves. How the hell am I supposed to now have another person in the mix? And spread it around. Also give them attention. You know? mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. our fifth question, because we still got to get to questions for each other, is mm-hmm. well, this one's kind of lame. Actually, I feel like we could have left this one out. But anyway, do you know what an emotion is? Also a little harsh. That is a little harsh. Like, it's kind of accusatory, isn't it? Where did I find this article? And, okay, so wait a minute. Can you define gay and do you know what an emotion is? I, If someone asked me that on a date, I would be like, check, please. Yeah. Peace. Like, I'd be out of there. Yeah. Well, the sixth question is, are you too close with your mother? <sighs> it's now, valid. It is valid. Because some, I mean, how many gay men do you know that have mommy issues? Like, certainly there's a whole section of the population with some pretty intense daddy issues. 
quote, mommy issues. Like they just adore and love their mother or they're so traumatized and scarred by her that they want nothing to do with her. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've, I've been in a situationship. You couldn't call it. It was like three months, but I felt like I was entering into a relationship that already existed between a boy and his mother. I so felt very was, much like it, the third wheel. So there, that was another polyamorous situation. It was a polyamorous situation. Yeah, <laughs> it was. And it did just so happen to be with the polyamorous philosopher. <laughs> so the polyamorous philosopher had a significant other as his mother and wanted to add you into the mix. Yeah. Christ, I hope he never listened to this podcast. Did he drive a Prius? Nearly. Nearly. <laughs> Vegan? <laughs> no. No. Luckily not. Because then he would have... I, I, I don't know then. It would have just never worked, even for the three months that it did. Well, you wouldn't have gotten past two dates, let alone three mm -hmm. months. Exactly. Now, here's a question for you. Now, this is not in our list of questions, and it's not in your list that you found. But I mentioned the dude that I went on a date with last week that... He was on field and he was on hinge and I got to see two different sides of him. He was definitely down on the first date to, to play around. Mm -hmm. The sex wasn't really great, but I enjoyed talking to him, attracted to him, intellectually stimulating, which is important for me. I'm not one of what you would call a sapiosexual. And if you've never heard of the term sapiosexual gentle listeners, sapiosexual is someone who has to have a mental attraction to someone. They're attracted to somebody's intelligence and the ability to have conversation beyond the mundane uh, mm -hmm. is how I'll describe sapiosexual. So it wasn't, I'm not like that, but I can't date someone who's dumb. That sounds harsh, yeah. but no, you know, but if it's you, true. It's boring. If, it's boring. If you've nothing to talk about, um, even if the sex is great. So easy to talk to good looking guy, uh, also interested in art and culture, which was kind of cool. And the sex was like, okay, man. And I'm kind of thinking, do you pursue this and see like if the sex can get better because there's enough other boxes ticked or is that enough of a reason to go, you know what? Nah. I'm a firm believer in trying something again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how much and how much trouble has that gotten you into was a lot but i mean in your case with this like what have you got to lose exactly just try again i mean if it sucks again and and you're, then you're just like okay i can't do this it, wait were you saying he's dumb too no 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 he's not dumb he was he's, okay, a smart he's not guy. the dumb one okay you know he's not the dumb one there's no dumb ones on on the cards right now okay it's just all right yeah. Well, there aren't. Shoot your shots. Go again. I mean, sex mm. isn't going to be super great every time. Mm. That's true. This is true. Yeah. All right. So, do we get down now to our questions so everyone out there can get to know a little bit more about us? Exactly. Okay. Well, so, question question number one is: When did you realize you were gay? I think I just always knew. Do you know? Yep. You know. Uh -huh. You know, as a gay mm -hmm. man, you just fucking know. Come on. Mm -hmm. Like, for mm -hmm. anyone who said they didn't know, you're lying. I'm sorry. 
I don't know. You're I not. think that's harsh. I think you're being harsh. I think there are people out there who didn't know straight away, who like had to have uh, an epiphany moment. A good friend of mine here here in Brisbane, he came out in his 50s and was married okay. and had two kids and yeah. he actually didn't know or maybe maybe you're correct in some way. Maybe there was some place where he always did know and maybe there were dalliances and experiments here and there, but um I have met some people that really had no idea because they, in most cases, they didn't, they're not really super sexual people. So mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily about, there wasn't a whole lot of turn on to spark that awakening in them. Yeah, true. Okay. I take back, I mean, partially lying, but I take back the harshness. Hmm. Okay. Okay, but but cool. but but we're still we're you're still in the hot seat here. When did you realize you were gay? Yes, you always yes. knew. But was there a moment where you were like, when that did I realize a, that gives me a tingling sensation in my bathing suit area? Oh yeah, I can clearly remember the moment. I th I can't remember how old I was. I mean, I was probably like a child, mm -hmm. like probably like under seven years old or something, maybe a little older, probably a little older. Let's call it around nine, nine years old. I remember being at a cafe with my mother. And it was one of those cafes, you know, where all the fucking cyclists come along and they park and they get their coffees and whatever. And fuck me, did I see some men get off the bicycles? And the first thing that I saw were their bulges in their pants. And I knew I was like, oh, my God, I'm obsessed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's so, what I knew. I was like, OK, this is it. I know. Yeah. And and do you still like, okay, that's cool. Cause my story is actually kind of similar, but I'm curious to know, do you still have like a thing at all? Do you still fetishize bulges or Lycra in particular? Lycra? No, I actually find cycling pens quite off-putting. Like interesting. I, interest, like it's, yeah. I just don't think they're very flattering because they have that like thing around the butt for the padding. Yeah. And the seat, like there's, if you're going to wear tight pants, there's a lot of more like hotter ones, more mm. like sexy ones. Those just look very functional. Yeah, that's true. Like they well, serve a purpose. They're there Lycra to is a big thing. Anus. Yeah, Lycra yeah. is a big fetish. I mean, specifically the, like the cycling shorts, they're there to comfort your anus and mm -hmm. be good for, you know, wind and mm -hmm. stuff. So I guess there is an element of sexiness to it. What was your question again, though? Was when did you first realize you were gay? And it was at the cafe, you said. But I, but no, then I wanted then to know: Do you have more of? Do you have a thing for like lycra or bulges still? Lycra, no bulges. Yes, like when you're gay, and majority of gays, I believe, are constantly on the bulge watch. Totally, especially in winter when all the gray sweatpants come out. I just it's moved like, into this new area and there, it's very like, it's very 6am out walking the dog or cycling and best. there's a lot of sweatpants and there's very little underwear in this neighborhood by the looks of it. I am not complaining. It's delightful. Um, but yes, you're right. I'm always like going bong. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'd like to say like, it's, you know, the first thing you look at. Mm. And I mean, if you want to be discreet then just wear some sunglasses you're good i'm never discreet i just look i'm yeah. unashamed i don't know sometimes i am shamed though you don't want to be like hi and they're looking hi. at your face while you're looking at their dick and you're like so are you jewish yeah 
I know, but also like if you're not going to wear underwear, then people are going to look. People are going to look. They're going to see and they're going to look. Exactly. Okay, but now it's your turn. When did you realize you were gay? Well, mine was a pretty similar story. I um, used to be taken care of by my grandmother a lot when I was a kid or I would go and see her and beside her house, there was a council swimming pool. And I was in the pool and I would actually, I sort of dove under the water and was in the deep end. And I probably was a similar age to you described, like seven, eight, maybe nine in that area. And this dude jumped off the diving board into the same area and kind of landed on top of me. And my face ended up in his speedo clad crotch. And I can still remember exactly how every molecule in my body came alive and started singing hallelujah (laughs) as this as this man's crotch was being pressed into my face so it's definitely a bulge appreciation moment coupled by lycra as well or whatever spandex it wouldn't spandex it was lycra being a speedo and to this day i am the same as you i have a huge thing for underwear i have a huge thing for speedos and swimwear and bulges are proof that god is kind and benevolent I think I nearly cried while you said that one. <laughs> if you ever write a book, you need to tell people how you realized you were gay. <laughs> yeah, it was that. It was that. It was. It, oh, it was. Uh, the angels were singing, and yeah, it was a beautiful that's... moment. I still remember it to this day. And he had one of those like lifeguard physiques, like he had the chiseled six pack abs and and the like floppy blonde hair and the, so the pecs and the and the even tan from being out in the sun a lot and the speedo was like um it was this was the 80s so it was like a mottled bluey purple and lime green if you ever saw this man again would you be like this is what a huge role you played in my life well you tell him yeah yeah i would probably present him with a hamper and uh and a sash and say (laughs) thank you thank Thank you. you for everything and you don't penis. know, yeah. you don't know the impact you've had in the world, but that impact on my face at a tender young age changed the trajectory of my life, sir. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So next question then is what's your coming out story? So I'm actually pretty lucky in the sense, I mean, I consider myself lucky that I never had to like sit my parents down and be like, okay, guys, hold on to the side of the couch, you know? Gird your loins. I'm gay. You know, I think everyone just knew, which is fantastic. Because I never had to, like, officially come out to anyone and be like, I'm gay. I'm not straight. Please forgive me. Blah, blah, blah. I had a very accepting family. Very grateful for that. There was a moment with my mom. I mean, because we never spoke about it, I think I was about 16 years old. And we were stuck in traffic in the car. My mom had recently, well, not recently, a couple years back come out of another marriage. I say another marriage. Sorry, mom, if you ever listen to this. (laughs) I mean, well, and we were sitting there and my mom said to me, I needed to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay, yeah. What what is it, mom? And she says, I think I'm into girls. And well, she said, woman, I think I'm into woman. And I said back to her, "Um, I know mom, you've been bringing women home and closing the door, like and going to bed. 
And she was like, oh, how did you know? Blah, blah, you know, play it cool. And then I was like, I also have to tell you something, mom. And I was like, I'm into boys. She said, yeah, I know. You bring them home and you close the door. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. It was wonderful. So we kind of came out of the closet together. Um, mm. My mom is in a long-term relationship now with a woman, too. And, yeah. It's a, that's, that's just a beautiful story. Actually, I did find out, though, many years later, when my dad found out I was gay, he did have to take the next day off work. Wow. He, he took the day off. Yeah. I don't think he never judged me and he never said anything. Like, thank you. Thank you, Dad. If you ever listen to this, doubt he will. He would have given up at the bold story. But he did take <laughs> the day off work. Yeah. I think he had wow. to just like regroup himself. That's a pretty normal thing, I think, for a lot of like, not, no, I don't, I don't want to say it's normal, but it's a situation that I think a lot of people are familiar with that the, mm-hmm. that moms are okay with their sons being gay, but they're not necessarily okay with their daughters and dads could understand why their daughters would like vaginas, but they don't, but they're not okay with their sons being gay or it hits harder. You know, it's their job to raise a man and they failed <laughs> or something, whatever their, yes, their rationale I it's is. Like, I don't even think it's about the being gay. I think it's just like an ego bruise. Mm. You know, I didn't throw that ball enough and I didn't, you know. Yeah, right. Whatever it is, I'm sure. Like, so my my story is a little more tragic, but relates to what we're just saying, because my sister actually came out well before I did when I was um, maybe preteen. You know, I was a tween kind of a thing. And my sister came out and sort of paved the way for me in a way. But... My mom and family were not super receptive to the idea. My sister always got the treatment of, oh, it's a phase. She'll grow out of it. This isn't really who she is. She's not actually gay, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I remember the way I came out to my mother was one day she was complaining about my sister being gay and the, the phase that it was. And I said, mom, I think you actually better get used to it because I'm gay too. Oh, you just hit her with like, you know. Boom. Checkmate. Yeah, checkmate. And her mouth dropped and her face, the color went out of her face and she just was like, she was shook. And I left. I I got on a Greyhound bus and traveled to another city to where a friend lived and said, hey, I need to, I need a place to hang out for a couple of days. I don't feel like being at home. So I went and hung out with my friend. And then when I came back, my mom was like, she was okay with it. She made me something lovely to eat and I think took me and bought me a pair of shoes or something. And uh, there was still a bit of a rocky patch with it because mm-hmm. my, her concern was that I was going to have a hard life. Um, and okay, fair enough. I mean, when I, I'm a little older than you are, but growing up in the eighties and nineties, the specter of AIDS had a long reach and a whole lot mm. of people felt that to be gay meant you were going to get HIV and die from this terminal disease, which is not the experience of a lot of younger people today. I know a whole lot of people today who are HIV positive and undetectable and have full and vibrant sex lives with very yeah. m- numerous partners and have a great time. And there is not that big concern about it being a death penalty. So that was my mom's big concern. And I actually then came out on national television at the age of 16. You did? 
Yeah. So I volunteered at the local AIDS hospice and I was part mm -hmm. of the local um, gay and lesbian youth group in my city. Like I grew up in a fairly small city. It was the biggest city in our state, but it was only about 150,000 people. So it was, it was small. Was it um, legal so, to be gay in Canada uh, at the time? Yes, I believe it was legal, but marriage mm -hmm. equality wasn't there yet. Not that, and, and it was not like a really open and accepted thing very much, especially in the mm. smaller centers like where I lived. So you looked for community. And um, I was part of this group and our national broadcaster, the CBC, reached out saying that we're, they were doing a show on risk and they wanted to someone who, was, who would speak about the emotional risks of coming out. And I went, sure, I'll do it. So I came out on national television uh, at the age of like 16 and it went everywhere. Like my grandparents saw it, all these things. My mom oh. was a little upset about it because she said that it was embarrassing for her, for all her coworkers to know and that sort of thing. Um, mm. But I was like, well, it's my life. I'm doing it. And that was that. I gotta live my life. Mm. That's so cool though. I love that you came out on television. Yeah, I've always been a drama queen. Yeah. Here we go. And this is just the beginning <laughs> of yeah. our podcast. So exactly. There's more to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we haven't, we have another question here. So the next question is Wesley top bunk or bottom bunk. Um, okay. This one is, I knew you were going to ask this question. So I've been preparing myself in my brain. Um, I'm going to, what, I don't know if this is actually a thing but I'm going to call myself a seasonal bottom. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Like the seasons come and they go mm. and they come and they go. Right. So, so, so there's times when you just want to be bent over and take a dick. And then there are times when you don't, is that what you're saying? Precisely. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess it depends on the person too, right? Like your chemistry with everybody is so different. Yeah, but also, like, butt stuff is a lot of stuff. You know, like, if you're not gut healthy, it's hard to, you know, bottom every day if you mm -hmm. were going to have sex every day. Um, if you just, like, you know, to me, there's so much more to sex than just anal all the time. So mm. I like to explore and play in a lot of different ways with my partner. And anal sex is not always it. And it is. It's, I'm not saying we never have anal sex, but being a seasonal bottom, it's not just like always about anal sex for me, basically. Right. Cool. Yeah, I guess, you know. Do you think we're allowed to say anal sex on a podcast? Anal sex. We just did. Maybe cool. we're going to have to have an explicit something warning. I don't think so. Because I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mom, if uh, you're listening, don't look at me again. Look, I mean, she's a lesbian. I'm sure she's done all kinds of like fisting and this, that, and the oh, other, whatever. Oh my God. Okay. Now she's never got a list to it. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> so, okay. So but, seasonal bottom, that, that is interesting. I've never heard of that one before, but I know of a lot of people that like, you know, I, again, I have some friends, uh, a couple that they're both traditionally both bottoms. And mm -hmm. I asked them the other day, I said, is that hard? And they said, no, the hardest thing is everyone asking us about it. We have great sex <laughs> and it's fun, but everyone is like, well, that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, 
and that's the weird part. So, you know, sex is different with the, the two people involved all the time. When I was married, uh, my partner, my husband was more of a strict top generally. And I sort of learned to bottom, but it's never actually been my favorite thing to do. It's, um, I've, I'm naturally quite tight and the preparation stuff that you talk about for bottoming, it can be a bit full on. I'm way more naturally a top anyway, because I'm a lot more dominant. Like even last night I was having sex and the guy I was having sex with who I have sex with a lot. He kind of wanted to take control a little bit more. Like mm -hmm. he was still being penetrated, but he kind of wanted me to lie there and relax and him to do everything. And I didn't enjoy it as much. I so much would rather sexually be the more dominant being control. Yeah. Yeah. And um, maybe that's something to unpack and look at. Cause I mean, who anyone who's ever been tied up and has to submit sexually to somebody else, they know mm -hmm. that that's a, an amazing exercise in being out of control and somebody else determining how things occur. Yeah. So. And I mean, yeah, that, that I totally get what you're saying. It, that's wild. I would say I'm an all season top. If you're, a, if you're a seasonal bottom, I'm an all season yeah. top, you know, and by seasonal, I just mean like, you know, sometimes you want to, sometimes you don't. Yeah, I, exactly. And I, uh, when I have bottomed to me, there is such a thing as too big. There are penises oh, for sure. that are just too big. I'm like, yeah. that's a lot. That's a lot. No, no, no. I think like golden size is like, wait, I don't know what inches look like. Cause I'm, metric. you can say it in centimeters and I can translate it. Cause I can do what both. Is it like, I don't know. The average like, penis like the average penis size, like six yeah. inches or something. Yeah, which is about yeah. fifteen centimeters. That's the average Perfect. penis size. Absolutely. And some people mm. prefer it a little girthier. You know, different different things hit the prostate in different ways. There's a reason why gay men love anal sex, and that is men have prostates. And when that prostate is stimulated and hit, wow, you can create full body orgasms just in the prostate. Exactly. Straight ladies listening, could touch a man's prostate. He'll love you forever. He will love Promise. you forever. He just might not want to talk about it. Yeah. Don't talk about it. You don't need to talk about it. Just put yeah. your finger up his butt. Yeah. Or even just press the area in between his scrotum and his anus. That's a pretty close proximity to the prostate. And if you press on that while you're doing something else like delivering oral sex or whatever, that can also create a lot of stimulation. A lot of guys, when they do masturbate, will naturally press that spot because it also is quite stimulating. Exactly. So hmm. this is also a podcast about sexual education. Yay. <laughs> Yay for sexual education. Okay. So the next question then is your first love or crush. Before we hit record, I just have to say that I said to Chris, I was like, I don't know. I don't really remember, but actually now that you do say it, I'll tell you a little story. I think when I was about 10 years old, I decided it was Valentine's Day. I'm going to go ask this girl out. And she was like the most popular girl in school. And I was so very clearly, obviously gay, but still thinking I should go ask out a girl so I don't get bullied. So if I go, it's morning time. I think I had like some chocolates or some shit with me. And I walk down the corridor and I see her. I'm like, oh my God, there she is. There she is. This is my moment. This is your time to shine. There's never been a moment like the now. 
So I approach her and I say, hi, would you please be my Valentine? And she said, no, you're gay. (laughs) Oh, were you crushed? (laughs) I was fucking devastated. I was like, here comes this fucking bitch. I bought you chocolates. You cunt. And you just went, no, you're gay. Yeah. The most popular girl in school. And then I was laughed at for like four days. Oh, that is horrible. Tragic. Tragic. That teaches you at a young age. That's trauma-inducing. That is like public shaming, trauma-inducing. Don't don't Mm -hmm. ever shoot your shot. Don't ever say which, you know, ask somebody out because you're going to get hurt. And if that lady's listening to this podcast, you actually know who you are. You know who you are, ma'am. Bad girl. (laughs) Uh, What about you, Chris? First love, first crush? (sighs) My first love and first crush was, he was my best friend from grade six. And he's still actually a great friend of mine. One of my favorite Mm -hmm. people. I love him dearly. He, um, He was my piano teacher's son. And we went to elementary school and high school together. And we bonded first in elementary school over our mutual dislike of gym class. Like every good young gay boy, we hated gym class. Didn't want to have to do it. Yeah. Didn't want to play sports with the other boys. Mm -hmm. And we got excused from gym class a lot if we went on a walk while all the other boys were playing soccer or doing whatever. We didn't want to do team sports. So we would get to go. Yeah. We would go for a walk together around the perimeter of the schoolyard and we would just talk about whatever. It wasn't until, well, this is like a losing virginity story, but we, I lost my virginity to him in high school. Years later, I remember we were, it was Christmas time. We were cuddling in bed because I grew up somewhere incredibly cold. So Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere, very cold. And Silent Night was playing on the radio and we were cuddling. And I remember reaching my hand into his underwear and he had a heart on and his, the head of his penis was peeking out past the band of his underwear. And I ended up giving him a blowjob in high school. And that was my first sexual experience. I was head over heels in love with him completely. And even though we had quite a few sexual experiences, he was always like, yeah, I don't really feel that way about you. You're like a brother. I love you, but I don't feel that way about you. And so that was my first love. And it was tragic. It was unrequited, even though the sex was good. Oh, my God. You need to write, like, Fifty Shades of Gay or something. Because you were like, the tip of his penis head slipped out his underwear. His moistening member. You're gay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but okay, okay, well, let's go back to you then. So that was your first crush. You asked this girl out who was like, nah, you're queer. But... When did you, who was your first boy crush that you like actually had the feelings for? Um, hmm. I actually don't fucking remember. The first First boyfriend? First sexual experience? First, okay. Well, my God. First sexual experience. I actually lost my virginity to a girl the first time. And it was actually one of my very good friends. Hmm. Yeah, with one of my other very good friends laying in the bed at the same time, who was sleeping and woke up while well, we were doing the duty. Uh huh. And then she called her mom, and I didn't see her for like three weeks. Oh. 
It was very awkward. So that was my first sexual encounter with a woman. And with a man? With a man. I don't know if I need to tell that story in a podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay. You don't have to. <laughs> but now, now we're all dying to know. Come on to like the 10th episode and then I'll tell you there. Yeah. Okay. That's it, everyone. You've heard it from here that if you stay for 10 episodes, Wesley <clears> will <throat> tell us about his first sexual experience with a man. Exactly. <sighs> okay. So. Do we have okay. any more questions left? We do have one question left. And the question is, what is your biggest pet peeve or deal breaker with a partner or on a date? Oh, my God. Okay. So I feel like I'm the king of pet peeves. I'm that partner. Who's yeah, just you like, are. I'm just like chewing sounds. I don't want to feel your toenails on me in bed. I Don't touch me while we're sleeping with skin on skin. Um. Don't snore. Don't breathe too loud. The list can wow. continue. Wow. Really? You're that guy? Well, well, like if we're sitting watching a movie and it's like this, I'm going to fucking say something. Don't, you don't, it's unnecessarily loud. You huh. don't need to breathe like that in order for your body to continue living. <laughs> you don't need <laughs> Like, just oh calm down God. to, like, a normal breath, you know? And um, what was the other? Like, just chewing noise. I don't want to fucking hear anyone chew. That's not in a relationship. That's just in general in life. I think it's called, there's a there's a scientific name for it, something phobia. I don't like the sound of chewing. Oh, uh, you make me seem really low maintenance. Because all that stuff. I will admit it straight away. Yeah, all that stuff doesn't really bother me. Um. I was I actually I went on a date with a guy maybe I don't know five six months ago and we were going to the theater we were seeing a musical um and I could sense him getting really nervous as we were going in mm -hmm. and he was like uh, if I start bothering you or anything like feel free to move away from me <clears throat> and I, I went what what are you talking about and he told me this story about like the partner that he used to have was really um, he was like, like you're describing. Like me. He would just, so basically he would get, his partner yeah, was like me. His partner was really critical and always like getting angry mm -hmm. with him for breathing too loud or fidgeting or talking during the movie or whatever. And, and I'm always, I'm just, was just like, nah, I don't care. I do have a deal breaker though. My deal breaker pet peeve. Okay. So I, as I said, I'm getting right back into the dating world now. I'm on all the apps, all the rest. And I've noticed some people move so fast like mm -hmm. i've been accused of moving fast and falling in love too easily to quote the chet baker song but the um the thing i've noticed is what a lot of people do they they just like instantly they're already in a relationship with you like i i met one guy and we went on one date and we had sex and the sex was actually really fun and at the end of the first date he started referring to me as the new man in his life and i was like calm down what? Yeah. What? No. Red flag. Wait. Slow down. I. Uh, I'm. That. That is where I get worried. Like, yeah, I fall in love pretty quick, but I'm actually kind of a slow dater, and I really like to like take my time and get to know somebody and court mm. for a while before we like were a thing. Like, again, I met this guy off Hinge two weeks ago, and 
he was really affectionate and really like a warm, friendly, lovely guy, super good looking. Um, he was, the sex wasn't that good with him because it was like two freight trains hitting each other. Both of us very dominant, very top energy. And so it was like, this isn't not who you are, but what yeah. they've decided you're going to be in their life. Like they've already picked the, the China pattern and the, and the flatware you're going to have at the wedding and all the rest of that. And it's like, what does that have to do with me? Do you even like me or know who I am? No, you just want somebody there and have decided. I'm like he's be already that planned you. your wedding. Well, that was awkward. Oops, my computer died briefly. <laughs> Just a momentary lapse in functions there. But we know? resuscitated him and we're here, we're alive, we're back, we're, we're ready to go. So we just finished talking about the red flags and pet peeves. And I think, ladies and gents, maybe that's all we've got for today. Exactly. We'll be back with more crazy shenanigans very soon. This is only our second episode. Um, but we'd actually like to find out some feedback from all of you. So if you listen to this, give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or, I don't know, the middle finger. Let us know what you thought about it. Subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and come yep. back for more. Like it, share it, and subscribe. Those are the three you're supposed to do with Pike Podcasts, right? Exactly. I just added in a few extras like middle finger and yeah, thumbs down. Exactly. Yeah. Thumbs down, middle finger. And you can find me on all the dating apps or Instagram at ismyhair2, number two, big. And you are? You can find me on Instagram at Wesley Pullen. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.